want to talk for a minute about things that are true, but so what? Right? And, and so the statement, so what? Uh, and uh, this is a time when I invite your input. So if you are uh, online, unfortunately we can't hear you, but you can chat uh, in the room. You can shout out. Um, but I'd like your ideas about this. That, so, so there are some things that maybe it's true, but why care? So I'll help you out. Here is a really earth-moving, almost literally, truth. This fact. The moon is moving 1.49 inches farther away from Earth every year. Every year, the moon is getting farther away by 1.49 inches. To put that into perspective, 1.49 inches is 0.000024 miles. Or in other words, that is 0.000001% of the distance between the Earth and the moon. In other words, before it makes any difference whatsoever, millions of years are going to have to pass. But it is still true that the moon is getting farther away every year by 1.49 inches, right? So does that qualify as, well, maybe it's true, but so what, right? So what are some other things that we say, okay, it might be true, but so what? What difference does it make? Any ideas in that? Yeah. It leads to cultural drift. Sure, it leads to cultural drift. Yeah, so things that are true, but it doesn't matter. Yeah, so what are some of the examples of these things that might be true, but... Paisley is sometimes in style and sometimes not in style. Okay, Paisley, I'm not sure he's going to agree so what, but... <laughs> but yeah, to some of us, styles change and figuring out what the current one is, um, yeah, maybe some of us say, so what? Another thought. Ah, for a kid in election. Yeah, some kids say, everybody's so worried about this. How many elections have we had? How many have we lived through? So we'll make it. Right? Some will say that. Something else. Oh, we're here, yeah. Um, Chinese food in, in the south, southern part of China is spicier. <laughs> okay. <laughs> So, yeah, different regional things, and it's spicier in the south in China, which might be irrelevant until you choose to visit. And then you discover it's very relevant. Um, yeah. All sorts of details in people's lives, right? Sometimes people are very eager to, to explain to us details in their lives, and we try to look interested, and inside we're saying, so what? <laughs> right? Of course, we wouldn't say that out loud, but... Yeah, so much of history, right? There's details in history, and we say, oh, some people just love that. And many of us say, is it changing life today? Right? And so we say, well, so what? But there's another expression I want to think about for a minute, and that one is, uh-oh. Right? And so this is something that's true and it's important, but we missed it. Um, so to expose one of my fears as a student, uh, the due date for an assignment and I can still picture it as a class in seminary. I walked in, and, and actually it wasn't the due date that I missed, but I walked in and we were all turning in an assignment. And I was looking at how thick other people's notebooks were. And mine was you know, about that thick. And I did. I went to the professor and said, I think I missed something. <laughs> Is it supposed to be this big? And he said, no, they all just like to pad it, so it looks important. <laughs> but this is a fear, and it's, it's the O that says it's true, and I've missed it, and I'm in trouble, right? 
So what are some examples of some uh-oh events? Forgetting to change your clock. Forgetting to change your clocks. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and it's here it's the uh-oh, I could have slept longer. In the spring, it's uh-oh, I missed it. Um, yeah, what are some other things? things that meant a lot to me and it was kind of all me-centric, egocentric, and I realized the world is like falling apart and the Lord is looking at the big picture and I'm just looking at me. <laughs> and uh, so I was like, uh-oh, <laughs> I need to refocus. Yeah, yeah, and I saw a video this week about Christianity and it says so many in North America are focused on North American Christianity, right? And, and the uh-oh in the sense it says, wait a minute, we're so narrowly focused that there's a whole world of Christianity and we've been missing it. It's so important. Yeah. Closer to home, anybody worry about missing a birthday or an anniversary or something like that? It's a date. It's important. And it comes up and we say, uh-oh. <laughs> yeah. Because of confirmation bias and everybody has a particular belief about them, regardless of whether they're a Christian or not, and whatever matches that belief, they'll receive more information. And the rest of it, I don't want to hear it. Yeah, we block an awful lot out. And then the concern is, I blocked out something that's really important. It's a So I said this, if you happen to see the email this week, I said this idea that paying attention to what matters is really key. And so I want to make a claim and that is what grabs or holds our attention shapes our lives. Right? What it is that holds our attention is going to change our lives. It's going to affect how we live. And I see that then. Great. Missing an appointment, another one of those uh-oh things. Um, what holds our attention shapes our lives. And today, I want to think about something that maybe often we, 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 we say we know it's important. But maybe it hasn't held our attention very much. And that is, what about the resurrection of Jesus Christ? How does that shape our lives? How does that hold our attention? And sometimes I find it doesn't hold my attention. It's true, but for what I do this week, I'm not sure it's going to change anything. So I want to take some time to pray and ask the Holy Spirit to work. We're actually taking three weeks to think about the resurrection because we're going through Luke, we're at the very end of it, and it's just so rich and so powerful And sometimes we just think about it once a year when we get ready for Easter. (laughs) And we want to take this and spend some time and give it our attention. So let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank you that we can be together. Uh, We thank you for uh, the ways in which you use each of us to shape who we are together. The songs that we can sing and the, the, the languages that we can learn to pronounce and use to worship you with. We thank you for your kindness in uh, giving us a place to gather um, for the freedom we have to do that. We thank you for the Bible. We thank you for giving us an ability to understand and your Holy Spirit to speak. So we ask that you would speak now. That you would bring a deep conviction about the wonder of the resurrection. And that you would hold our attention with it that the reality of the resurrection of Jesus Christ would shape our lives. So we ask that you do that work today. We thank you that we can be confident in your goodness and your presence and using your word to nourish us in our souls 
to guide us in our lives, to give us hope forever through our risen Savior. In his name we pray. Amen. Uh, the title today is, remember this, we're in Luke 24. Uh, I encourage you to have that in front of you one way or another, uh, and we will talk more about this drawing uh, in a couple of minutes. Uh, there are handouts that are available, and also the link online uh, to uh, the handouts as well as uh, that text. Uh, it's really valuable to, um, to pay attention to the context, to the setting, and uh, the chapter divisions in the Bible as we have them today are not original. Uh, when Luke sat down and wrote his gospel, he didn't come up with 24 divisions and said, here's, here's where the last section should be. And, uh, and actually, this section in Greek starts with a pronoun, not with a noun. So you have to know what's the pronoun referred to. So let me just read these words from the last part of Luke 23, where we see the women who witnessed the burial of Jesus. And then they rested on the Sabbath. So we read a few selections there. When Jesus died, there was a man named Joseph who asked for Jesus' body. Then he took it down, wrapped it in linen cloth, and placed it in a tomb cut in the rock, one in which no one had yet been laid. It was preparation day, and the Sabbath was about to begin. The women who had come with Jesus from Galilee followed Joseph and saw the tomb and how his body was laid in it. Then they went home and prepared spices and perfumes, but they rested on the Sabbath in obedience to the commandment. So Joseph, in boldness and courage, when Jesus was, was crucified, he said, even though he is an enemy of the Roman government, I want to honor him. And he took his body and buried him. And the women watched. They watched the details. They watched how it happened. They watched where it was. And then they wanted to do their part to honor this body of the one they thought who was the Messiah. They wanted to honor him the best they knew how to. And so right then, all they could do was go home because the Sabbath started on Friday and a Friday evening, and so then they went home. It seems it's Saturday night. They went out to the market really quickly, bought all that they needed, got it all ready, and then we read this from Luke 24. On the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the women took the spices they prepared and went to the tomb. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were wondering about this, suddenly two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them. In their fright, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground. But the men said to them, Why do you look for the living among the dead? He's not here. He is risen. Remember how he told you while he was still with you in Galilee. The Son of Man must be delivered over to the hands of sinners, be crucified, and on the third day be raised again. Then they remembered his words. just want to stop there for a second. So these women came fully prepared to be handling Jesus' dead body, to anoint it with spices, to take care of it. This is what they came prepared to do. Uh, and yet they went in and there was nothing to be found. They couldn't find the body. And as we saw before, this was the only body in the tomb. Even usually, even though usually in the, the Jewish tombs, there would be multiple bodies. But in this one, it was brand new. There was no body, so there was no confusion about that. 
But there was great confusion about why his body was missing. And then they're in this dark tomb and these these two brilliantly clothed, clothed people, clearly angels, these men said, kind of an accusation, what are you doing here? <laughs> why do you look for the living among the dead? I love this statement. Why would you be looking for Jesus here? He's not here. And they said, remember, think back a little bit. Didn't he talk to you about this? You've been following him since Galilee, but he already told you. He said that the Son of Man must be delivered over the hands of sinners, be crucified, and on the third day be raised again. And the women are amazed, and the angels are the ones who are confused. Why would you come here looking for him? (laughs) He said he would rise again on the third day. Remember. And we're told then, they remembered. He said, that's right. It made sense to them. I just want to highlight some of the things that Jesus had said. This is in Luke. He had said to them, way back in Galilee, the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law. And he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. He told you this. He said he's going to die and the third day come to life again. A few chapters later in in Luke, for the Son of Man in his day will be like the lightning, which flashes and lights up the sky from one end to the other. But first, he must suffer many things and be rejected by this generation. Jesus had said, yeah, there's a a great future, but first, he said, I've got to suffer. And then again, the Son of Man will be delivered over to the Gentiles. They will mock him, insult him, and spit on him. They will flog him and kill him. On the third day, he will rise again. The angels said, why are you looking here? Remember what he said. And the wonderful thing is, very quickly, these women remembered. And they said, ah, this is exactly what he told us. And so then verse 9, when they came back from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to all the others was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and the others who with them told this to the apostles. But they did not believe the women, because their words seemed to them like nonsense. These women said, wow, this is true. And they went and they told, and and Luke says, they told the eleven, they told the apostles, as well as lots of other people. But they didn't believe And it's impossible to escape the fact that Luke says they did not believe the women. (laughs) And in some sense, many have said in their day that wouldn't be too surprising, that they did not believe the women. There was a lot of chauvinism that says, no, women aren't reliable. There are all sorts of things that people said, and you can't trust their testimony in court. And certainly there was a bit of that. But you know, the reality is that they didn't believe other men either. (laughs) When the disciples told Thomas, we've seen the Lord. He's like, no, I don't think so. I don't believe it. I mean, they struggled to believe Jesus in person. right? So certainly there was chauvinism. But it's not only that. They struggled to believe when Jesus said, it's me. It's me. And I'm convinced that their struggle is because they did not remember 
Jesus' words. They didn't bring that to mind. The women did. They said, oh, that's what Jesus said. It makes sense. But they said, this doesn't make sense. It's nonsense. These disciples, including the 11, said, no, this doesn't make any sense because they couldn't connect it with what Jesus had already said. But then verse 12, we see Peter a little bit different. Peter, however, got up and ran to the tomb. Bending over, he saw the strips of linen lying by themselves. Went away, wondering to himself what had happened. For some reason, Peter decided, well, I'll go look. And he did. He looked in. And and seeing the strips of linen lying by themselves, I mean, this is significant because if somebody wanted to steal the body, they wouldn't have stayed in the tomb and said, okay, first let's unwrap all the linens and make sure we leave them here. If somebody came to rob the tomb, they're not going to steal the body. They would steal the linens. Right? That's the only thing of value in there. Peter went and he looked in there and all the data fit what the women said. All the data fit the resurrection. But he went away and wondered. And it's interesting that it's, the, the Greek is hard to translate, so you see different translations. Some say he went wondering to his home. And the NIV says he went wondering to himself. But note what he didn't do. He didn't do what the women did and go tell people because he's still trying to make sense of this, right? Peter also struggled to make sense of what happened because I'm convinced he didn't remember Jesus' words. He didn't connect. This is what Jesus said and it's exactly what happened. He couldn't make sense of it and yet the reality is that the resurrection of Jesus Christ turned this greatest tragedy into the greatest good. Think about all of these followers of Jesus. They were so convinced God was on the move. God was at work. He was was doing miracles through Jesus and teaching in a powerful way and bringing reform to Judaism. And they thought, this is it. And then he died. And we'll look at this some more in the next couple of weeks. But for them, a prophet who suffered and died, that makes sense. They know Jeremiah. (laughs) Jeremiah had such a tough life. People were against him and attacked him and didn't believe him. So a prophet who suffers and dies, well, that makes a lot of sense. But not a Messiah. Messiah shouldn't suffer and die, in their view. And they thought he was the Messiah. And now he's dead. And he's gone. And for them, this was the greatest tragedy because it was their greatest hope. And yet the resurrection says, no, actually, this is the greatest possible good. This is far better than what you were hoping for. The resurrection of Jesus Christ brought overwhelming joy to the grieving once they saw it, once they understood. The resurrection of Jesus Christ gave great courage to the timid, to Peter who denied even knowing Jesus, who soon would say, you want to you wanna arrest me? Okay. You want to, to torture me? Okay. I can't do anything else but tell you about Jesus. The resurrection of Jesus brought great courage to the timid, brought great life purpose to the directionless. The resurrection of Jesus Christ is so powerful and so good, and yet these people struggled to make sense of it. At the core, the resurrection of Jesus Christ changes everything for everyone who lives by it. But some of them really struggled to live by it, to remember it, to make sense of it. This quote from Tolstoy, I've used it before a couple of weeks ago, so significant, I think, that that what meaning can a person's life have, which would not be annihilated, completely destroyed, 
by the awful inevitability of death. Right? We can say my life is meaningful today, but in a generation or two or ten, it, nothing will be left of it until all humanity is gone. And he says, what meaning is there when eventually it all just disappears? And I think what we see in, in Jesus Christ in his resurrection, the resurrection solves this problem, solves the problem of sin and death forever. That problem is taken care of. The worst problem is now solved. The resurrection of Jesus Christ brings hope in the worst tragedy. In his death, in his suffering, there was hope and there was goodness. The resurrection of Jesus Christ brings far greater joy than the best the world can offer. His resurrection changes everything for everyone who lives by it. But what's it mean to live by it? So I want to dig into this statement to remember. Uh, what does it mean to remember? So there's two uses of it in the New Testament I'd like to highlight. One we just saw. The criminal who was on the cross next to Jesus said to Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. So here's what I know that he did not mean. He did not mean, Jesus, would you think back when you're in your kingdom? Oh yeah, there was that guy on the cross next to me. Right? He didn't say, just have a mental recollection that I existed. <laughs> he said, would you save me? Would you bring me into your kingdom? But he said, would you remember me? In Hebrews, there's a, a command to the church. Continue to remember those in prison as if you were together with them. They're not saying, yeah, have this intellectual understanding there are people in prison right now. <laughs> remember those people in prison as if you were in prison. Remember those who were mistreated as if you yourselves were suffering. To remember in this biblical sense is not just to have a, a mental idea. What does it mean to remember? Well, I put it in three parts, and we often do this. To remember is to know the truth, right? In our heads to say, yes, I'm aware of that. I'm aware that there are people in prison. The second is to be gripped by that truth, right? In our hearts to say, wow, there are people in prison, and to feel it as though I were together with them. And then to remember with our hands is to take action, the right action because of the truth. So that's why. The criminal said to Jesus, would you remember me? Number one, when you enter your kingdom, would you bring me to mind? And would you care? Would you have compassion? And would you take action? Would you welcome me into your kingdom? Would you remember me? So at the center of, of uh, such a challenging story in the Old Testament of Noah and the ark, right at the center of the story is God remembered Noah. And it doesn't mean God said, oh, that's right. I sent that flood thing. Oh, yeah, Noah's down there. God knew, he cared, and he took action to rescue. To remember, in this biblical sense, is head, heart, and hands, right? To know, to be gripped by it, and to act according to it. So I want to ask this question. When was the last time we remembered the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Not in the intellectual sense that, yeah, I know that that happened, but to be gripped by it, to say, wow, and then to take action consistent with that. With head, heart, and hands to say, this is true. This is real. 
And this is what the people failed to do with the words of Jesus. Right? They'd probably written down someplace and they had this recollection Jesus had said this would happen. But it never gripped them. So it didn't come back to them in the time that was needed and they didn't respond to it. And yet, to the credit of these women in their faith, these angels said, why are you here? If you had remembered, you wouldn't be here looking for Jesus because you would know he's not here. You would remember. And to their credit, they remembered when they were prompted. So a couple of drawings uh, from Karen. I really appreciate this. If you can see this person in the struggle of desperately wanting water. And for me, this expresses what we often experience in life. Sometimes life is a struggle. And I'm conscious it's, it's this way for so many of us today, here. Uh, sometimes our souls may be dry. And it's just, there's not a life in it that, that says I have energy to, to follow and to trust. And our souls are dry. For some of us, our stomachs may be empty. For some of us, our, our bodies are weak and failing. For some of us, we're alone. And some of us aren't alone in that sense, but we live with broken relationships. Clearly, we know in our world there's too much to worry about. If one more person tells me this is the final, this is the election we're supposed to really be worried about, right? I can't remember when I didn't hear that about election. It's important. It does matter. There's plenty to worry about. There's a lot to be angry about. There is a lot of grief and loss. Sometimes we live like this person, just desperate for a drop of water to bring refreshment to our souls. Sometimes we're a bit more like this person, where we say, isn't it wonderful? Sometimes life does bring joyful things. And when it happens, we try and we often do really enjoy them in good ways. Maybe you're like me, I don't know. Maybe you're like me in that sometimes, when we have good things, we think, oh no, when's it going to dry up? <laughs> when are we going to lose it? We say, oh, that's not enough, I need to get more. And maybe we say we envy somebody else who has more. Or we spend our time worrying about other things. Sometimes we say, I have so little water, I can barely make it. Sometimes, okay, I've got a bit, but I still struggle with it. In contrast to that, we find in Jesus Christ something like this fountain. Right? Compared to the driest of human experiences, but also compared to the most abundant human experiences, the resurrection of Jesus Christ is an overwhelming fountain of life-giving water, just bursting with life and energy and joy and hope and healing and goodness. And yet, sometimes, this is how we live. We live looking for another drip of water. right? So in our dryness, we can know that there is a flood of God's powerful love waiting for us. And yet, we don't remember it. We spend our time looking at that one drip in front of us and saying it's not enough. What's behind the curtain is forgotten. But we can know it. We can remember it. And by remembering, that powerful love of God is just as real today. We can know this by remembering the resurrection. Sometimes we're playing in our drips of water. We're playing in this tiny stream of water and saying, isn't this great? 
And yet behind the curtain is this abundant, overflowing, life-giving water of God. The best that the world can give is nothing compared to the flood of God's powerful love that is ours in Christ. It's nothing compared to that. Right? It's, it's kind of like going to Mount Pleasant and seeing what apparently is a mountain there somewhere. <laughs> and saying, isn't that great? And not realizing that there are the Alps, there's, there's the Himalayas. I mean, there, there's grand mountains that are just overwhelming. And sometimes we're content with these tiny things that seem so great on earth. It's the best the earth has to give. And we're ignoring what's behind the curtain, this overwhelming flood of God's goodness and love. And it is something that we can taste today. We can taste its richness today when we remember the resurrection. Right? When we remember the resurrection, we know that all that threatens us is nothing compared to God's powerful love. All the stuff that can ruin my day, my week, and feeling like it'll ruin my life, it is nothing compared to the overwhelming goodness of God shown in the resurrection. When we remember the resurrection, we know that loss and suffering and death are a doorway to the mercy of God. They are never the final word. In the resurrection, all that can go wrong in this life is never the final word. The statement that those who know God more, who need God more, know God more, when we choose to remember him and set our hopes in him. So, when we remember the resurrection, we say, you know what? God shows up in trouble in powerful ways. And those who aren't aware of their trouble rarely know God. It's those who know their trouble and will remember him, they know God. When we remember the resurrection, we know that our greatest hopes and successes and pleasures in this world are nothing but a mist that will go away and be forgotten compared to the ocean of the powerful love that is ours in Christ. Right, The resurrection of Jesus Christ changes everything for everyone who lives by it. Everyone who remembers it. The angel said, why are you looking for life in the midst of death? You should go to where God is and you will find life. And they said, remember. So the application for us today is very simple. Remember the resurrection. Remember the resurrection. And I'll put it in the three parts. First of all, let's call it to mind. Call to mind. Decide to say, here's what's going to be in my mind. That Jesus suffered and died to love us and rescue us. No matter what else happens in life, Jesus died to show his love and to rescue us. Whatever else happens in life, call this to mind that Jesus rose to life again because death could not hold him down. Death could not keep him. When we go through struggles in life or when we're faced with things that are so enticing to us, call to mind that Jesus is preparing a place of overwhelming glory for all who trust in him. By his generous grace. Call to mind that Jesus is coming back to take us, to be with him forever. Whatever happens in this life. right? Whether or not this offer in the house comes through. Whether or not the car breaks down, the van gets repaired. Whether or not somebody we love dies. We call to mind the resurrection. That Jesus is more powerful than death. We call this to mind, and the reality is we have to choose to. We have to choose to focus on these things. 
And one of the most important things we can do to choose to focus on something is we have to quiet some other things. And frankly, one of the huge things in society today we have to quiet is our technology. Right? And so there's got to be at a time in a life, just like you go to a concert and they say, okay, everybody take out your phone and turn it off. There has to be times in our lives when we say, okay, turn it off. For my sake, not because it'll interrupt a concert, but because it'll take my heart away from remembering the resurrection. Right? We have to choose to quiet other things. And then we have to choose to set our minds on the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And Sabbath, I put this in quotes, Sabbath is a great time to do it. Right? We need, we desperately need a rhythm where we say we're going to quiet all the other stuff. And sometimes that other stuff is a social media feed that if you don't go look at it, it comes knocking and saying, you haven't looked at me in a while. Right? Isn't that nice of the companies to do that? <laughs> right? But it's not just a social media feed. It's the important things like news and bills and letters. It's productivity and saying, here's a bunch of stuff I've got to get done. Here's a deadline. It's even saying, and here's a, a, a special date I've got to prepare for. Right? And so whether or not the Sabbath, we say there's a day that I do this. There's a portion of a day or there's a part of every day. We have to choose to call to mind the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And to do that, we have to quiet other things. And say, I'm going to fill my mind with this. We need to call the resurrection to mind. We also need to call the resurrection to heart. When the disciples didn't remember the promise of the resurrection, they were perplexed and afraid. Right? This passage is one, and it goes on with, with deep emotional words. They were perplexed. And yet, when they remembered Jesus' words, they were filled with joy. This deeply affected their heart, not just intellectually. Oh, yeah, he did say that. I should have written that down. I should have set a reminder. No, when they recognized this, it affected their hearts. And yet for us, other things keep bombarding our hearts. Other things keep saying, you should be concerned about me. Right? And there's so many things that are fears and griefs, and regrets and worries that just keep going after our hearts and saying, spend time thinking about me. I know you're trying to sleep, but pay attention to us, right? There are conflicts and troubles and inadequacies and self-judgment and pride and envy and hate and all these things keep attacking our hearts, saying, think about us. And we have to choose to focus our hearts on the resurrection. We have to choose that. Some of the powerful things to affect our hearts are music and art and images and stories and Right? And so often I look at things and I think, well, what's the truth content? And that's good. I look at the, a psalm and I say, what's the truth content of that psalm? It's a good question. But I need to have it affect my heart. I'll just share one that, that is helpful to me. Uh, music is very important. It really helps me. And I have to say, it's been fun to have uh, the, the song in Russian running through my, 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 my mind. Um, and connection with meaning and the words, I'm still wrestling with that, and yet it's affected my heart beyond my understanding. I'm so thankful for that. So we sing this song, Living Hope. And I love this image. Your buried body began to breathe. And for some reason, that line is so helpful to me to think 
as I've as I've wrestled with this idea, Jesus was dead, his body was cold. And I wonder what was that first breath like? I wonder was it a slow or is it the kind of sleep apnea breath that goes <gasps> And I kind of think it was that. I kind of think there was a point where just all of a sudden there was this energy and life in Jesus' body. But that really helps me to stop and to think, what was that first breath like? Because that emphasizes for me, he went from truly being dead, truly dead, to alive and well. And I don't think it was this journey where he's, he's almost back. and Oh, maybe he's awake, maybe he's alive. I think it came with energy and power, whatever it was. That line helps me. And so then I make a connection with that and the song, And Can It Be? And And Can It Be, this verse that is so powerful to me because in my mind I connect it with Jesus in the tomb. Say, long my imprisoned spirit lay, that, that it was like in a tomb. My spirit was, was tied up, fast bound, securely tied. And I love this line, in sin and nature's night both sin and my own sin and others, and just the natural world, I was stuck in a prison that was death. And then thine eye diffused, God, your eye made this light to shine that came and it came unto me. And when that light came unto me, I woke, and what used to be darkness was flooded with light, and I looked and I could hear the chains rattling to the ground. The chains were in my heart. My heart was free. I rose, I stood up, and like Jesus walking out of the tomb, you gave me life. And I think, wow, that fills my heart with the reality and the power of the resurrection. We need to choose to fill our hearts with the wonder of the power of Jesus over sin and death. And one of the great ways the church has done this ever since Jesus is celebrating communion. And it is true that celebrating communion can become an empty ritual. I think the key thing is the choice that we make that says there's something about the tangible juice and bread that is intended for my heart to say, this is real. It's not just an abstract idea. We're to call to heart to remember the resurrection of what Jesus has done and what it means for us. And we are to call to action. The resurrection. right? And, and, and this is a wonderful thing that we can do to make this resurrection real to us that by focusing on Christ's flood of love and kindness for us, we choose to be generous with love and kindness. This is a wonderful way to remember the generosity of Jesus in his death. It's for us to be generous. Both in physical things like money and food and time and attention and kindness. Right? By calling these things to action, we remember what he has done. By focusing on our abundant forgiveness in Christ, we choose to forgive those who have hurt us. And Jesus said this, if you remember that you are forgiven, you can't help but to forgive people. Not if you think, oh yeah, he forgave me. But if you feel again the weight of your sin, 
and say he's washed it away. And as we forgive, this works into us, into the whole of our being, the reality of the resurrection. By focusing on our resurrection in Christ, we choose to endure with hope the struggles of life. Jesus didn't say, trust me and life will be easy. In fact, we'll see in the coming week. He said the opposite. (laughs) He said, follow me and there will be challenge. But you know what? It's challenged with great hope that we choose to endure with hope. And by focusing on the one who died and now lives for us, we trust our Savior's goodness through any trouble or storm. And the reality is there are some really big troubles and storms that people encounter. And yet none bigger than the death of Jesus Christ. None bigger than the weight of all the sin of humanity of those who will trust him. And he was victorious. We are to remember the resurrection in our head, in our hearts, and in our hands. Because the resurrection of Jesus Christ changes everything. For everyone who lives by it. For everybody who remembers it. Except, I have to say, um, I haven't been very good at remembering it. And so, I won't give you the details, but just to say in the last two weeks, I can see by my not remembering the resurrection, I have doubted God's power to work. I said, yeah, I know there's that resurrection thing. But I don't think it's going to happen now. Not here. You know, God doesn't really do that stuff or this kind of relationship. Or I don't think he's actually going to do that. And here's the wonder. God graciously surprised me. I'm an awful lot like those disciples who heard the women and it was nonsense to them. And yet Jesus showed up anyway. In the last two weeks, I've worried that God wouldn't answer my prayer. It's like, yeah, God, I know actually, I know you can do stuff. But yeah, I, just, I don't think you're going to do anything. And I wish I had remembered in my head, my heart, and my hands the power of the resurrection. And I didn't. And yet, God graciously surprised me. See, all too often, I live my life like this. I live my life with the curtain closed. And why do we? So the image I would like to to leave with you in your mind is that by remembering the resurrection, we peel back that curtain. We open that up. We still live in the reality of a broken world. And yet we live with our head and our heart and our hands gripped by the reality of this victory. By the re- remembering the resurrection, when we open ourselves up to the experience of the abounding and powerful love of Christ. So I go back to the first statement I made. What grabs and holds our attention shapes our lives. It affects how we live each day. It affects how we sleep each night. It affects our relationships with each other. And remembering the resurrection helps us to know in our head, in our heart, in our hands, God is filled with abounding, powerful love and action for all who remember the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you that you are the God overall. Jesus, we thank you 
that you have an indestructible life that death could not hold, that sin could not spoil. And yet you sacrificed to give us life. We thank you. We give you praise that you were victorious and that victory is no less today than it was that first Easter morning. Father, we ask that you'd help us to remember in our thinking, in our hearts, in our hands. A wonderful victory and the amazing power and love and action that you have shown us. Jesus, we give you praise and rejoice in you, our risen Savior. In your name we pray. Amen.